0: From India's Largest Newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. We were, all of us, uh, disturbed and shocked by the 15th film, by the movie Kashmir Files it felt to us like a propaganda vulgar movie, inappropriate for an artistic competitive section of such a prestigious film festival. It's with those words that filmmaker and head of the jury at the International Film Festival of India, Nadav Lapid, brought the film The Kashmir Files back into the limelight. Lapid faced condemnation from the Israeli ambassador in India, the film's maker, the film star, and people on social media. Lapit tried explaining later that he wasn't denying the community's experiences and his criticism was purely about the film. But that was drowned out in the outrage. Earlier this year, when the film The Kashmir Files was released, we'd spoken with author Rahul Pandita about the Pandit community's experiences. At the time, he had said it was wrong to weaponize the community's story. We're bringing back that episode today.
1: Kashmir has never recovered from the killings of pundits in 1990 and the community's subsequent exodus from the valley. Militancy that took root then only deepened and the revocation of Article 317 in the August of 2019 has created further polarization. To understand where Kashmir is at today, It's important to go back to those terrible months when B.P. Singh was the Prime Minister, his government supported by the BJP and Mufti Muhammad Saeed was the Union Home Minister. In the December of 1989, militants abducted Saeed's daughter Rubaya from Srinagar and they negotiated for the release of their fellow terrorists who were in prison. The Indian government capitulated, giving a big boost to militancy in the valley, which had disastrous consequences for
0: the pundits living there. <laughs>
1: Writer and journalist Rahul Pandita was only 14 years old when he and his family were forced to flee the valley. He has since then written movingly about that terrible summer in his book, Our Moon Has Blood Clots, and he has also co-written the 2020 film Shikara, a nuanced look at the trouble in the valley. As Kashmir Files reopens that chapter in the valley's history, Rahul Pandita speaks about the journey of the Kashmiri Pandits their abandonment by the state, and how weaponizing any narrative does a great disservice to any right-thinking Kashmiri Hindu. Raul, it's been 32 years since the forced exodus of the uh, Kashmiri Hindus from uh, the valley, also the rise of militancy in Kashmir and the militarization that followed. You've, of course, written very movingly about this in Our Moon Has Blood Clots, and you yourself as a child experienced the horrors along with your family. Could you just lay out for our listeners a little bit about what that time was like and and why it is traumatizing to this day?
2: It was a very, very difficult time for us. Um, And it's been 32 years, but the strains of this time will never leave us. And I'll tell you why. I have personally lived outside Kashmir more than I have lived in Kashmir. I was 14 years old when we left the Kashmir. Uh, but my father was roughly my age, my current age, when we left Kashmir. I cannot even imagine uh, what my parents' generation would have gone through uh, You know, when you have to suddenly leave everything um, and come to an alien city where there's absolutely no guarantee of where your next people come from. I've known people. I've known women, uh, young women in their late twenties and thirties, whose hair uh, turned gray in a matter of few weeks after the exodus in early 1990. Hmm. Um, in the second wave of COVID, you know, and I'm sharing this for the first time um, um, ever. Um, I mean, my close friends know me, but I've never said this publicly. In the second way of COVID, uh, me and my father both contacted COVID. I was pretty okay, but my father was in a very bad shape. And suddenly, in uh, on the seventh, eighth day of his illness, he began hallucinating. And his major hallucination uh, was triggered by the events which he witnessed in 1990. So every single day, for many, many days, he would come to my uh, room, at about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, with a little bag in his hand, saying that, uh, uh, you know, we have to leave now. I think there are terrorists outside in the lawn in uh, my apartment complex. Thankfully, he uh, became all right. Um, those hallucinations were gone. But it is just to tell you uh, the kind of yeah. trauma which is embedded there, there in his, in his mind. It was a terrible, terrible time. You know, in a matter of few weeks, uh, everything changed for us, um, especially from the night of 19th January, 1990. Which
1: we, yes, I want you to talk uh, a little bit about that.
2: The month of January is a very harsh time in, uh, in Kashmir, winter-wise. And by this time, the situation has already exploded. Of sorts. It has exploded because when the central government has been asked to bend, uh, it has crawled. Uh, Rubaiya Said, the uh, daughter of uh, then Home Minister, Union Home Minister, Mufti Mohammad Said, has been released in exchange of five terrorists of these uh, militant organizations called the and Kashmir Liberation Front. And on the evening um, of the day when they are uh, released in Srinagar, uh, there is mass jubilation in mm-hmm. entire Kashmir Valley. And that is the time, uh, that is the moment really when the Indian state ceased to sort of exist, at least for the Kashmiri bundles,
1: hmm.
2: um, in Kashmir Valley. So on the night of 19th January, by about six, seven o'clock, because the situation is very tense all over uh, Kashmir, all of us are back uh, in our homes. And between nine and 10, no matter where you are in Kashmir, I mean, I give the example of my own lo- locality, my Locality is a small uh, locality comprising mostly of Kashmiri Pandits, but it is surrounded by Muslim-dominated neighborhoods all over. So, in a radius of about five mile, uh, one mile, uh, there are about five mosques. And at about ten o'clock in the night, in that harsh, uh, dead night, um, these loudspeakers began to crackle. Mm. Uh, with little noise suddenly. And they began to run uh, some songs which were used by the so-called Mujahideen against the Soviet um, uh, in, in Afghanistan. And one of them went like uh, it's something in Urdu. It went, Khun shaheedah rang laya Mazhab ka parcham raha haya Jaago jaago subah hui Rus ne bazi haari hai Hind pe larza tari hai Ab Kashmir ki baari hai Jago, jago subha. Now, we must understand this time, there is no social media, there are no mobile phones. Even the landline density uh, is very minimal. Very few Kashmiri pandas, very few Kashmiris have access to landline. Phones. Mm. And you have absolutely no idea in my neighborhood that this is something which is happening in the entire Kashmir Valley. Absolutely coordinated, all over Kashmir Valley and none of us has any clue about this and in our home we think that this is something which is happening only in our immediate vicinity now there is a huge center of border security force right behind my house but they are so scared themselves they are so unsure themselves that they are not coming out they are just they've just put a lot of flash lights outside their camp Mm -hmm. so that their camp is not attacked. And if it is, they will be able to save it. But otherwise, they are not venturing out. So the Kashmiri pundits are left on their own. There is no civil administration. There is no police administration. And these slogans become more and more dangerous for us in a matter of few minutes. One slogan which makes us extremely nervous and turns us into mental wrecks is one slogan in Kashmiri, which I would also like to translate for you. It said, This means we want our Pakistan without Kashmiri Pandit men, but with their women. Now this made all of us very nervous. Mm. My mother was in her late thirties, early forties at that point in time, took out a knife from her kitchen and I was 14 years old, my sister was 20 years old, she was in college, and she took out this knife and told my father that, uh, you know, I don't know what is going to happen now, but if these guys attack us, I'll kill my sister, kill my daughter and myself, and then you do what you
1: have to do. <laughs> It was partitioned all over again.
2: It was partitioned all over again.
1: But this was not something which
2: we realized later. It was not something which was only happening to us. Uh, you know, in the event of research of my book later, I came across hundreds of uh, such cases. So, there's this Hindi poet called Vidyaratanasi, he says a line, he says, mahal mein hum, aap hote So, this is what Kashmiri Pandits have gone through. And the exodus really began from 20th January on Now I must, we must also set, uh, to record this one big controversy. Um, which I have tried to uh, clarify several times in mm. the course of my career. Uh, but you must have seen these social media tweets, especially by um, uh, the Kerala Twitter handle of the Congress and some of the Congress leaders and so on and so forth. Jagmoon was responsible for the exodus of Kashmir. For God's sake, Jagmoon was not even in Kashmir Valley on the night of 19 January, 1990. He was in Raj Jammu, mm. where he was receiving frantic calls from Kashmiri pandit uh, people who had telephone lines because by that time we knew that he's he has become you know his name of, had been announced as the governor of the state of Jammu and Kashmir. So some of us were calling him frantically, not only him but many other bureaucrats, including the union home secret- secretary. Um, because some people had uh, you know those f- phone numbers and they were calling any everyone they could on that particular night because we thought that we're not going to live through that night.
1: Mm.
2: And then, you know, by this time, you know, the killings have already started. And then, you know, by April, May, almost every single day, one or two Kashmiri Pandits are killed on an average. And in the next few weeks, the exodus of the Kashmiri Pandits is complete. Now, the bigger, the, the, the bigger problem, and now, who are these people who are killed? It begins... With the killing of prominent people like judges or small-time politicians, you know. there's this another untruth that you know we only uh, kill the so-called state actors. State actors mm. meaning you know politicians and uh, cops. There are teachers, there are engineers, there are chartered accountants, there are government officials, there are housewives, there are children, there are poets, there are doctors, there are nurses who are killed in this frenzy of sorts. In a matter of few months, almost 700 Kashmiri pundits are killed. But for me, personally speaking, at least 15,000, 20,000 people died. Uh, they got killed. And you'll ask me how. Because in the first few years after the exodus, most of us were living in a place called Jammu. Uh, in, in absolutely hostile conditions. You know, the weather was detrimental to us. We did not know what to do with that harsh summer. We used to live in torn UN refugee tents on the outskirts of Jammu, on barren pieces of land infested by snakes and scorpions. I know so many people, thousands of elderly people, especially, died of sunstroke in 1991, 92, especially. They died of depression. They died of snakes in Scotland, and these people would not have died uh, had this so-called exodus not happened.
0: In the highly surcharged atmosphere, as Jagmohan moved from one success to another, he got branded anti-Muslim and pro-Hindu. Prime Minister V.P. Singh had a complex problem on his hands. If Jagmohan continued international opinion, particularly of Islamic countries, could have turned pro-Pakistan. Indian Muslims may have also got alienated. On the other hand, Jagmohan's removal would have been a definite setback to the momentum gained against terrorists. In the end, Jagmohan had to go.
1: The absence of the state uh, is remarkable because uh, as you said that you, there were people who were trying to call Uh, the governor's office, bureaucrats in Delhi. What was the experience like with instruments of state?
2: From late 80s onwards, uh, intelligence reports are regularly going to New Delhi about the fact that hordes of people, young Kashmiri Muslims, are crossing the border and they're coming back with arms and ammunition, there are IB reports, intelligence bureau reports, uh, that weapons, especially guns, are being smuggled uh, by sticking them to the bellies of cattle, which the Gujar herdsmen. The first Kashmiri Pandit killing happens on 14th September, 1989. Um, A political activist by the name of Tikalal Tablu is assassinated outside his house. This happens on 14 September 1989. A few days later, uh, there's a program at the Sun Temple, the famous Sun Temple in Martand in South Kashmir, where the then Chief Minister, Mr. Farag Abdullah, um, has come. Uh, uh, there's an event in which there's a dance performed by uh, Yamini Krishnamurti. Um, and Mr. Farag Abdullah also does a little dance there as he, as he does. Uh, often and there are reporters there who ask him whether there is any militancy in kashmir because you know mr tupple has already been assassinated uh, he categorically denies it he says there's no militancy this is also a very interesting time because and again you know it's not you know it's not a generalized statement this this begins from late 80s 88 89 so you are in your house now you know the idea of house is very important to a Kashmiri irrespective of whether he's a Kashmiri Muslim or a Kashmiri. Uh, No matter, you know, whenever you have a little saving, you there is no Indira Vikas Patra or mutual funds or fixed deposits, nothing. Your entire fixed deposit is that house. Mm. So you are always in this renovation mode. So suddenly this milkman, you know, comes to our house, the Muslim milkman called Rahman, in, in, in my locality. So this guy comes to our house and says that you know he looks at some timber which my father has ordered some because he wants to make some wooden shelves etc for books and he says uh, uh, and, uh, you know this is a, this is a scene which we also used in way, and he says and it's a, it, it's a true story and he says uh, my mother says you know uh, we need to make some bookshelves. He said, don't So, Madhra has absolutely no idea of what he said. There's a friend of mine um, whose father, uh, um, uh, you know, whose uncle was one of the uh, greatest Kashmiri communists, Professor Nandala al uh, who went to jail with Kaifi Azmi. So, his family, you know, i to come. And then one night, he, uh, you know, in the secrecy of the drawing room, he demanded a little drink, uh, which was given to him because he was like a family member. So he had the drink and suddenly he turns to this, um, his patron, this professor, and says that, uh, you know, sell this house, go away, uh, save yourself, stuff like that. But, you know, we have absolutely, you know, we can't even imagine this, that something like this is happening. Now, Kashmiri Pandits are no alien or strangers to communal riots. You know, every now and then something happens, and then we turn into this sort of submarine, uh, hoping for things to go normal, and things become normal in a few days' time. Mm. Zia Haq dies in a plane crash, we get attacked. Salma Ruzdi Saab writes a book, we get attacked. 1986 major riots uh, happen in Anantanag in South Kashmir. The Times of India has um, uh, covered it extensively.
1: This was building up, but even so, the sense of the actual scale was not apparent. I mean, not felt, because it was your home after all.
2: You can't think of leaving your, leaving your house. I mean, it's it's unimaginable. A house which your, which your father built when he had just 3,600 rupees in his pocket. And from that scratch, he built it up to a three-storied house. You can't even imagine that, right? But suddenly when people around us started getting killed and killed in a very gory fashion, and we have absolutely, uh, you you know, the Doordarshan does not tell us anything. The local newspapers, you know, tell us these things uh, in 50 words, uh, two days later. Uh the BBC Urdu, which we, we listen to ev- every single night, tells us things. But the real extent of what happened to Kashmiri Pandits is only evident to us once we leave Kashmir.
1: Which is why I was asking you about this, dealing with the state post the exodus.
2: There was no state for us, Meena. Even after the exodus, no state came to our rescue. 95 percent of us have shifted to jammu because in our silliness in our ignorance we still think that this is something which will become normal in about a month's time we are still treating it as a communal right so my family is carrying a suitcase you know there are educational certificates of my mother and my father and my sister and i have no educational certificate worth speaking about till that time, not even later. And then, uh, you know, a little jewelry, a little money, and that's all about it. Because somehow we think that, you know, it will become okay. There will be some state intervention. Uh, these people uh, will be dealt with. These armed militants will be dealt with. And then, you know, it will become okay. Days and days pass like this. And then Jammu, um, it, because now there is a, there's an economy for these rooms and there are very, very few rooms available there. So sometimes the house owners, what they do is they um, just vacate a cowshed, uh, just put a cheap blue distemper over it and then put it out on rent for 400 rupees, 500 rupees to, to Kashmiri Pandit families. This is how we live without any state intervention. Mr. Rajiv Gandhi uh, comes, he visits Kashmir. He, this is March, 1990, we're talking about now. By this time, refugee camps have been established in Jammu. Uh, many people are expecting him to visit a refugee camp, but he does not visit a refugee camp. Um, and the apathy and the really continues like this. In those days, we used to get a pittance of 500 rupees uh, and, 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 a little, and a little rice. Um, by the way, for for that pittance also, we received uh, taunts from our erstwhile neighbours in Kashmir, and they used to say um, in those days they used to say Ramnam sat hai, Sat to hai, which means Ramnam sat hai, ab Kashmiri ko mil raha. So these taunts did not go even after they killed us there. Hmm. Hmm. Now, now you see the the you know, there's a there's a certain response which you which you sometimes see coming from a Kashmiri Pandit man on Facebook, on Twitter. There's a there's a certain rabidness in it. We must understand where this rabidness is coming from. This rabidness emanates. I'm at the receiving end of this rabidness from my own people sometimes, but I understand this rabidness. This rabidness emanates. From these thirty years of bitterness, apathy, and then the, you had the experience of the new generation kids. You know who went people, uh, boys and girls who went to colleges in Delhi University and in Jamia and so on and so forth, where uh, you know this young uh, Kashmiri Pandit kid would uh, approach his or her teacher and say that, uh, "Ma'am, you know." I want to do a dissertation on the Kashmiri Pandit exodus, or uh, the health issue the Kashmiri Pandits are facing, uh, or the post-exodus, uh, you know, post-exile literature from Kashmiri Pandits. And this uh, ma'am, some professor wearing her fab India kurta would say, "No, no, no, no. Let's not go there. You know, this is, you know, this is all hyped up, and only eighty-nine Kashmiri Pandits died. And this was all done by jagmohan This will lead to too much bitterness." Uh, let's speak about reconciliation. And you know, uh, the Kashmiri Muslims have suffered uh, uh, far more. You know, there are these unmasked, uh, unmarked graves that is Gunan Poshpura, that is Shopya, um, mm. and so on and so forth. Let's talk about Manipur. Let's talk about, uh, you know, Kokrajhar. Let's talk about Naxal Idiyat. Now, these kids would return mm. and speak to their fathers or their grandparents about it. So then, you know, this, this bitterness became a collective thing mm. that nobody, you know, this li- so-called liberal intelligentsia, always ready to, uh, you know, say these things. But, jab, uh, you know, I, I said this somewhere in a Hindi essay. I said, jab Kashmiri to ki ai, to your eyes develop cataract. You can't see this. This is what has, we must understand. Now, Minal, because I think a lot about these things, this is a very big reason why you are looking at this polarization in our country. Uh, Many people will not agree to it,
1: Hmm.
2: uh, but the polarization, the bitterness, um, really began begins from the time when you deliberately start ignoring. The Kashmiri Pandit issue in this country.
1: You mentioned that Kashmir, the Pandits, the Hindus were actually also the, uh, they also formed a certain intellectual class, teachers, lawyers. Uh, that loss, what did it do to the Kashmiri society?
2: This is a very painful conversation, you know. Meenal. Um, I wish I could tell you what it has done to our people. Uh, this is uh, you, you know, more than the loss and damage of homes, more than the fact that my 76-year-old father is here, uh, sitting in the room next to me, and he's hallucinating uh, less than a year ago about militants coming to uh, his home in in Delhi. Uh, you know, where he has a two-tire security uh, and, you know, coming to damage us. Um, The fact that when old people from my community are about to die, they talk to their children about returning to what they call the Shahar. Shahar is always home. Shahar is Shahar. So Shahar for them is Kashmir, Srinagar. Uh, when, when, when we die, we say this to our Kith and Kin that, you know, take us to K, to, to, to our own. But more than that, what is personally painful for me is the loss of scholarship. The Kashmiri Pandit community. Uh, um, despite the fact that, you know, people want to give you a completely different picture, that we were elites, that we were moneylenders, you know, we used to run Indira Gandhi's government. Uh, The Kashmiri Pandit community is largely a clerical community. People who are government servants, uh, this affinity for government jobs also comes from the fact that, you know, we've Face uh, this for a long, long time, and in our little wisdom, we understand that if you are a government servant, at least you know you will get your salaries. So it is kind of embedded in our in our DNA that you know you should have a government government job. So most of us are, you know, more than fifty percent of uh, the government positions held by Kashmiri pundits in Kashmir Valley were those teaching jobs. Even if a clerk who was working for, say, a Punjab National Bank, when he or she would finish his job, he would go back to his home. And from some trunk, he would take out Tagore's Gitanjali, uh, Fanishwar Nath Renu's Jalous, VS Naipaul. Um, Carl Sagan, uh, and read it, and then go back to counting cash or something the the next morning. This scholarship is lost. Uh, I have mentioned this. Uh, I mentioned this really really painful incident uh, in my book. In the nineties, when Kashmiri Pandit left, I uh, know this uh, great scholar. Uh, who died a few years ago? His name was Professor T N Banjo. He stayed back in he stayed back in Kashmir, and in the early nineties, um, he's he's going on a cycle. He used to teach at the university. He used to teach Hindi. He's going on a cycle, and uh, suddenly someone uh, he lives in old old Srinagar, and someone stops his cycle, and say says, says uh, Pandaji, what are you doing here? You're uh, uh, books of your people are being sold in that tin shed. So he goes there, rushes there on his cycle, and he sees this man, uh, one of his neighbours of sorts, who has gathered all these old texts and old books from the deserted Kashmiri Pandit houses, has and has put them on sale. And sale by kilos, basically. Now, there are some wise foreign scholars you know some that there are german scholars who are interested in kashmiri saibism uh, there are other scholars who are interested in those books and they are buying it now this man goes and he says Ki, um i don't re- remember exactly the amount but he says that uh, to everyone else i'll give these books 50 rupees a kilo but for you i'll give this 100 rupees a kilo because you're a kashmirian And this guy has hardly any money left, but you know he has some money and he manages to salvage two books. One is an old uh, book of, uh, some really rare book of the Kashmiri poet, um, uh, you know, Lalded. Mm-hmm. And there's this ancient uh, Hindu text called Maharatha Manjari. In exile, uh, especially in my generation, which struggled a lot to regain some of, what we had lost in Kashmir, um, it became it became a sort of um, it became a frenzy of sorts for us uh, to make a big house, then a bigger house, uh, buy a small car, then a bigger car, then a bigger car, as if you know it had you know what we would lost in Kashmir had left a void in us. But unfortunately, that 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 scholarship, that, that affinity with books, with wisdom. With, with a certain uh, inward looking gaze is completely lost. Now you have Twitter, now you have Facebook, uh, where you are going from one Twitter handle to another. You are not ready to spare anyone, including someone who wrote the only authoritative book on the Kashmiri Pandit exodus. Uh,
1: Why do you think you are being attacked, Rahul?
2: <laughs> I think it's the same bitterness uh when uh when when they when they see something which um you know I, I think I, I told a BBC reporter a couple of days a year years ago they want to see the truth in its completely naked raw form the reason why a current film has become so popular, uh, I can't say about others, but about Kashmiri Pandits is that it's an emotional catharsis of sorts for them. They 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 are kind of reliving that life. It happened when my book also came out, but you know books have a limited audience. The, the, the impact of, of a film is much, much bigger than it, a book can ever be. Um, that is what is happening. And then you know this bitterness where sometimes I I write something about buster and then there are these people who will attack me and call me a because they don't even know what a Maoist is. They don't even know how to spell Maoist. Uh, in most of the times, they will call me a Maoist M O I S T. So <laughs> it's 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 funny, but it's also sad. It's sad because I tell them. If my story, if my life story has taught me something, it is that you should have a little empathy for people who may be gone, who may have gone through similar circumstances. Now you have absolutely no idea what I've seen in Bastar. So you're not in a position to, to comment on that. So please do not belittle other stories and works of people you know, who, who work really hard. Uh, while going to these places. Hmm. Just because the the state um, failed you, just because uh, the civil rights and the intelligentsia of this country failed you. But it's not about who has failed you. It's also about who you are as a person. Remember who your forefathers are. Remember the fact that you gave this country its first prime minister. The other day, I I wanted to uh, write in my Twitter handle, you know, I wanted to say that uh, Rahul Pandita, uh, closet Sanghi in Kashmir, urban axle in the rest of India.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As Kashmir Files becomes the talking point, we are once again seeing disturbing visuals and hate speech, this time coming out from cinema halls men threatening violence against Muslim women, not unlike the threats made against Hindu women back in
2: 1990.
0: <laughs>
1: I asked Rahul Pandita what the challenges are of telling the story about an issue that is deeply complex and equally painful across the board.
0: I think
2: at some point in time it's also a thankless job. Uh, Because no matter how hard you try, Uh, there will always be people who will be unhappy with what you have shown. Uh, This way or that way. I have very closely followed some of the disturbing visuals you mentioned. And I'll say this uh, to that minute. Um, We must absolutely uh, condemn it. We must absolutely speak about these things. Um, Like I have. uh, I have always said uh, this several times. Um, that the Kashmiri Pandit's story should not be used to weaponize. It should not be used as a weapon against this or that. Uh, but having said that, I think in this case, the onus is not on Kashmiri Pandits really to once again prove their secularism. Kashmiri Pandits do not have the. Have to be the alambardars or the flag bearers of the Indian state also. Give them three weeks of emotional catharsis without expecting anything from them in return. Let them at least stay in their houses and receive a couple of WhatsApp messages from their non Kashmiri neighbors or colleagues saying that, let them get at least some succor. And nourishment, some nurturing from the fact that their voices, that their story is being heard. But that should not stop anyone else in this country, the Hindu majority in this country, to put their foot down and say, say not in my name, boss. Not in my name. If you're, uh, if someone is saying that no one should watch a film of Salman Khan and Amir Khan in a cinema and you're sitting on the front row eating popcorn, then shame on you. Someone should have the guts to stand up to this cowardice, this bullying, I said, no, not in my name.
0: Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at podcast at timesinternet.in.